This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Without self-love and deep acceptance of how things are, it is difficult to move forward, particularly when life sends us challenges. Without taking responsibility for the stories we make up in our heads about how things are and owning our role in every relationship and situation we are a part of, we bypass opportunities to learn and author a better future for ourselves. Without understanding that our lives are a co-creation and acknowledging that we are loved, supported, and helped, via nudges and well-timed hand-selected gifts by the universe to achieve what we have come here to accomplish, the way forward can feel very lonely and difficult. Regrets and fears of the unknown, death being at the top of the list, can easily paralyze us from moving forward. To be human is to suffer, for the majority of us, and suffering often results in wisdom. We are here to become wise, so why resist? Valeria Tellis interviews Dr. Lisa Samet, the author of Emotional Repatterning, Healing Emotional Pain by Rewiring the Brain. Lisa Samet, N.D., is a well-known health practitioner who has appeared on the Dr. Oz Show to promote homeopathy and naturopathic healing. She has an international practice based in Montreal, specializing in homeopathy, emotional wellness, nutrition, and lifestyle optimization. When emotional issues are an obstacle to healing, Dr. Samet uses the emotional repatterning techniques presented in her book to help patients uncover and rebalance the deep, subconscious beliefs that often underlie their unhappiness, stuckness, and mental or physical pain. The results have been nothing short of life-changing. She has written this book to broaden access to the tools that she uses in her practice to help people change their perspectives, subconscious beliefs, and ultimately suffer less. After graduating from the University of Pennsylvania, followed by 10 years in marketing with Procter & Gamble, Dr. Samet realized that her real love was naturopathic healing. She received her doctorate from the Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine in 1998 and has been in private practice since then. Naturopathic healing focuses on prevention and using natural approaches to stimulate the body's ability to heal itself. The primary goals of the naturopathic approach are to address the cause of illness rather than simply treat or suppress symptoms, and to treat the patient as a whole, physically, mentally, and emotionally, to regain optimal health. Meet Dr. Samet at lisasamet.com. Here is the interview with Dr. Lisa Samet. In your own words, who is Dr. Lisa Summit? 
Ooh, <laughs> that's a big question. I would like to think of myself as a big heart. <laughs> I feel that over the years and through my work and through my own personal uh, experiences, I have become a much more heart-centered and emotionally perceptive person. And I feel that I function really well on that level and I connect very well on that level. And when I'm at my best or my best self, I think that that's kind of where I feel myself the best. Mm, heart-centered. I love that. There's something about the heart that we connect to emotions, but even the, the ultimate emotion might be love, right? We do make that connection a lot. Love in the heart. And with that in mind, Lisa, what is love to you? What is your idea of love? Uh, the first word that comes to mind for me is connection. So, you know, there's lots of different types of love, obviously. But, you know, when I feel love, I feel connected. So what is what does connection mean? It's It's kind of like you resonate with where the other person is. Uh, it's a combination of intuition and empathy and sympathy and understanding and, and all those things together where you're connected with another person on a certain level that's not about words, I think. So in my next warm-up question is about balance. What is your understanding of balance or to live a balanced life? Is there a destination for that? Well, you know, that's that's how I spend my professional life is counseling people about exactly that. I mean, I do try to do it in my personal life, too. But, you know, we're we have, you know, varying success depending on the day. <laughs> but I guess, you know, when I show up as a, a physician, uh, I'm a naturopathic doctor. You know, I'm, I'm always uh, talking to people about, you know, all different kinds of balance, you know, lifestyle factors that contribute to overall health, for example, like, you know, what we eat and how much we sleep sleep and the stress that we allow ourselves to take on and how we process that and exercise and, you know, just kind of a holistic way of approaching life, which is a balance because it's an understanding that there are many different parts of us and all parts need to be fed in order for the whole to function well. And I don't mean fed, you know, with food. I mean, you know, whatever it is, you know, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. So I think kind of getting all those pieces lined up and flowing well in balance to each other would make for the best health in general. So I think balance is very important. Do you have a spiritual practice or a belief system? Well, I've dabbled in and out with meditation. I can't tell you that I'm so great at it. Uh, I you know, always tell myself I'll try again. <laughs> I mean, I've read all of it. I've gone to so many meditation retreats. I've done a lot. But I mean, you know, if I if I actually sit down for 30 minutes a day on my cushion, no, I, I wish that were the case. But I, I, I do absolutely have a very... Uh, deep, I guess I would call it a spiritual framework. Okay. So, I mean, I guess we maybe all have that, you know, to some degree. So our understanding of how things work and, you know, there's no uh, license on anybody's, uh, you know, framework more than anybody else's. I don't actually know how it works, but I have what I think uh, how it works. And, and I find that to be fabulous for me because it's, it, it provides like a context with which to interpret 
all of the experiences that come up, you know, whether it's in my own little life or whether it's, you know, looking at the planet as a whole and what's going on on the planet. Uh, so it's a framework more than anything. And it's, I guess I would say a more of a deep connection and a, and a deep understanding that there is something certainly more than what we're experiencing here. And that provides a lot of peace, I think. Right. Something that's uh, beyond what it's here. And I always wonder how we can connect with that. We all have, we have different practices and ways of doing it, but what does it feel like when we are connected. You mentioned love earlier. Would you also say it's a sense of wholeness? Because that gives that the balance. We are in that space of balance. Yeah, I think those are really good good words. Love, wholeness. Maybe I'd add a third word, which is uh, a feeling of safety, uh, which I, I think these days is really pertinent because, you know, so many people are anxious. I mean, I think people are just generally anxious in the last couple of decades anyway. You know, the use of anti-anxiety pills and antidepressants have gone through the roof. And I mean, I think anxiety is a chronic problem. But in the past couple of years with all that's going on, I mean, people are really anxious. And when you boil that down, I think underneath that anxiety, there's an essential feeling of a lack of being safe. And so when I think of being connected, it's it's like just this reassurance that I'm safe, you know, no matter what actually happens to me or around me, that I am essentially safe. And if I know that, uh, it does really help with, I don't know, I mean, a sense of, of peace and hope. Yeah, absolutely does. Safety. It seems like it's a balance too, right, Lisa? Because we don't want it to live only to feel to be safe because then we don't risk, we don't take chances. Yes, that's right? a good point. Yes, very true. So it's another balance. Um, yeah, it's all about balancing. That word is interesting. I try, for some reason, I was not using that word for a long time, balance. I was using harmony better because mm-hmm. it related to, to nature and life itself, mm-hmm. this dance, this movement, natural movement. Mm-hmm. But balance is, is the same thing. I think we're just using words. So balance, harmony, all the same. Right. Well, I think if you're in harmony, you are balanced. And if you are balanced, in theory, you, you are in harmony. So I agree with you. They're, they're, they're very well related. So I do have a few more questions for you. I have so yes. many questions for you, actually. Oh, I love your questions. <laughs> but way they're too really, many. thought-provoking. <laughs> the next one is about the, the purpose of the human experience. Have you wondered, or do you have some answers for that? Oh, very much so. I mean, that's where I feel that my spirituality informs the way I see the world. And we're going to talk soon about my book, which is called Emotional Repatterning. And there's a lot in there on this exact topic. So you know, what is the whole point, right? And, you know, for me, I really do see that earth is like a school and that we come here as like a soul or a spirit and we kind of, you know, rent a body. Ah, (laughs) Yeah, that's cute. For the duration, you know, like if you went to San Francisco, you'd rent a car to help you get around and have your experiences. Then you'd return the rental car and you'd go back home, you know? True. I I never heard it that way. That's refreshing. Similarly, you know, we come here as souls without a body and we we, we take on a body because that's what allows us to have a a physical experience on earth. And then, you know, at the end of that trip, Uh, we, you know, we leave and we leave the body behind. And so, you know, what is the purpose of the whole, the whole coming here? Uh, For me, earth is a school. 
And so if we looked at it that way, it sure is a paradigm shift, right? Because if I think that I'm coming here for, let's say, on average of 80 years, and it's a school, and specifically I've come here to learn and evolve and grow, then it's obvious that, of course, if I was never challenged or faced with any difficulty, I would just kind of like skip along through the whole thing, and it would be a lovely life, but I'd probably go back home without too much extra knowledge. Um, You know, it's through the challenges of life and the suffering and the confrontation that we are essentially demanded uh, to look inside, to grow, to understand, and through that to evolve so that when we do leave and go back home, I put in quotes, we have evolved and we have grown and that's the whole point. So, you know, it is a different way of framing challenges and suffering when we think of it in those terms. My question to you is, how did you come to these um, understandings of this realization, Lisa? Well, I, I've worked with patients for almost 25 years, so that certainly gives you a lot of experience. And, you know, when you speak deeply to patients in, you know, in the privacy of your office, you know, people reveal, obviously, the deep parts of themselves that they may not show to most people. And I, I came to see over time that, you know what, we're, we're all pretty much in the same boat, you know, which, you know, maybe you wouldn't realize otherwise, you know, maybe your details are different than my te- details, my suffering is different than your suffering, but at the base of it, it's really all the same. It's a struggle. It's a struggle in a number of different areas, but there are, there, there are really actually quite few areas that, you know, all the different struggles that we have and the challenge that we have really can be boiled down to a handful of, I guess, issues, you could call it, through which, you know, when if we don't resolve those issues or learn and grow through the, the, the experiences, you know, we get stuck there. And then, you know, life has to confront us time and time again with those same challenges until we can you know, learn what it is we've come here to learn and then kind of do what I like to say is a software upgrade. And, you know, then, then we kind of evolve to the next level. So, you know, I think that that probably is 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 my answer to that, to that question. <laughs> healing. What are some of the misconceptions about healing that we have? You know, one of the things I would say that comes to mind right away is, you know, even though I'm in this role as a naturopathic doctor, I'm certainly not a healer. <laughs> I, I never like to take that credit, and I don't think it's true in any case. I'm a facilitator. You know, whether I give a homeopathic remedy or I give counsel on diet and supplements and nutrition, or whether I do emotional repatterning with people in my office. You know, I'm a facilitator for people to do their own healing because, you know, often in this society, we look at doctors, medical doctors as, you know, these kind of godlike creatures. And we, we give over our power to, well, the doctor put me on this drug or the doctor said to do this. And, you know, it's very much the doctor and the drugs are healing us. And I think that's really disempowering. I think we all have the opportunity to show up for ourselves, choose our own method and know that our body, mind and soul want to heal and know how to heal with the right prompts and the right support and the right encouragement. And so I think that that is a big misperception about healing and health. We are all empowered to to be healthy and to find the road back to health. And when we take on that power, we're less of a victim. We have more uh, energy to put behind it. And people like me are uh, cheerleaders, let's say, or guideposts along the way to kind of encourage and nudge and support. So I think that that is really a different paradigm shift in the model of uh, of, of Western medicine. Yeah, talk to me for a moment about how you became a 
what do you call natural Pathic or natu- naturopathic, naturopathic doctor. doctor. I'm also a homeopath. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of a funny story. I mean, I graduated at 22 from a very well-known business school, and I practiced uh, marketing in Procter and Gamble, which is one of the you know like largest companies and you know mainstream uh, marketing, and did that for 10 years, and you know thought I was happy, and then. As the years went by, I realized that, you know, I, I, I didn't think I was really contributing to anything of importance. And that started affecting me. You know, when you work in those big companies, it's, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week or more. And, you know, maybe you get a nice paycheck at the end of the month, but it's kind of a, a soul draining exercise. And unless you're getting some fulfillment or sense of value from the work, I mean, I I, I don't know, for me, it just uh, it was really empty after a while. And at some point in there, I actually went to see a homeopath myself, you know, for my own health issues, nothing major, just little stuff. And somebody had recommended a, a woman to me who was a homeopath. And I went to see her. And I mean, it was kind of astonishing what what happened. I took this kind of little sugar pill that didn't seem like very much. And I didn't even take it every day, which more or less is how homeopathy works. It's a, it's a trigger to get the body to heal itself. And after a couple of months, I was like in fabulous shape. And I, and I said to her, what, what was that? You know, what, what, what did you just do? And then, you know, kind of from there, I just got interested and I never looked back. I was studying it. I was reading books. I was taking courses. And then finally, I got up the nerve to leave my day job, as, as you put it. And I went back to naturopathic medical school, you know, a four-year program, like for real, to get, you know, trained so that I would actually know what I was doing. Um, but, you know, that was kind of the catalyst, I think, just kind of not feeling fulfilled with my work and then having a personal experience of, of, of getting better in such an efficacious and gentle way that I, I just was like so curious about how that could happen. Yeah. Oh, I love that approach. Gentle, right? Helping yeah. the body to heal. Yes. And not imposing that. Yeah. Imposing a cure or a quick way of fixing things. Yeah, I love what you do, Liz, and I have lots of questions, way too many. Let me ask you <laughs> one more, the warm-up questions. What is true power to you? How would you define that or describe what that is? Wow. Uh, true power to me is being self-empowered. Um, you know, I work with people all the time. And, you know, for example, uh, I was working with a woman yesterday and she was talking about problems with her husband. And she said, you know, he always makes me feel stupid. And I, you know, my back kind of just twitches a bit when people use that kind of language. Like, and I said to her, nobody can make you feel, you know, it's not like there's a little button there and he reaches over and he presses the button and now you feel a certain way. Nobody can make you feel that's so disempowering, right? That's so much putting yourself in a victim role, you know, the better language, because language reveals what's really going on for us underneath, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and so better language in that case and a, and a better perception in that case would be, you know, when he says X, Y, and Z, I feel like this, that at least is, is better, you know, <laughs> because it's like, I have, I feel a certain way. I react a certain way. It's kind of my reaction. It's my choice. It's in my hands. It's not in somebody else's hands because, you know, if, if he makes you feel a certain way, then we have to fix him, you know, and we can't fix anybody else. We can't change anybody else. We can only work with ourselves. 
So, you know, we're much more empowered when we take back the power we give away to other people. And then if we understand, well, why do I get triggered when he says X, Y, and Z? Well, then I brought my power way back because then I get to look at myself and then I get to make changes in myself. And then the next time somebody says something, I realize I might react completely differently. And so that's true empowerment. It's a small example, but I think a lot of people can resonate with that. Oh, yes, I can certainly resonate with that <laughs> big <Me> time. <laughs> yes, thank you for that message, that important message of taking responsibility and going, just going within ourselves, just um, giving attention to what happens in our inner world. Right, and, and, and asking the question, what's mine and what's on the outside, right? Because I think that that often gets very blurry. And that makes me think about emotional wisdom, which you talk about in your book. So, but before that question, you wrote the book, Emotional Repatterning, Healing Emotional Pain by Rewire the Brain. So talk to me about the inspiration and intention of writing your book, Lisa. Uh, well, there were a couple things along the way, I think, that, that happened. I think the first thing that really uh, I guess, opened me up to really understanding on more an intuitive level uh, the emotional world of myself and my patients was my son's illness uh, about seven years ago. Uh, so seven years ago when my, my youngest child was 10, uh, he was diagnosed with leukemia which um, is, you know, the biggest childhood cancer. But of course, you know, this is something that happens to other people. It's never going to happen to us, right? <laughs> and so when it happened to us, it was, you know, an enormous shock. I'm sure like anybody would be shocked, but I think, you know, even more so because, you know, my husband and I are both naturopathic doctors and we raised our children, you know, with only the best organic food and, you know, the best natural medicine and, you know, everything, you know, perfect, no, no pharmaceuticals, no antibiotics. You know, we thought we were giving these kids like, you know, the best of, of health and, and whatever. So, I mean, and then it's, I guess it's Russian roulette, you know, I mean, suddenly we get the worst possible diagnosis. It was just amazing to us. So, you know, that was a huge shock. And then two years of chemotherapy in and out of the hospital with all the drugs that we had managed to avoid, even the, the milder of those drugs, all those years. And now he was getting bags and bags of chemo every week. I mean, it was, honestly, it was, it was, I, I go back now and think about it and it was, uh, it was so traumatic. I mean, he's 17 now and he's in perfect health and the medical system that I don't love saved his life. And, you know, there is a time and a place for all of it. But I think the trauma and the suffering and the heartache that I went through seeing him suffer and be so sick and, and being so scared at the possibility of him losing his life really kind of cracked me open. And then in the seven years since then, I think my my work with patients has gotten much more intuitive and much deeper simply because my own self was I was more deeper and more intuitive. And so, you know, through that, I think I was transformed. And then I think I was able to show up for my patients uh, with a different level of perception, let's call it. And I, I started to realize working with patients on that very deep level that you know, there, as we just said, common threads between so many of the stories. And and I, I just one day felt, you know, I, I've got to write this down. Like nobody knows this. I mean, I've read a lot of self-help books and I've read a lot of things and I've never read any of what I was kind of pulling together uh, as kind of similarities and conclusions that I was kind of, you know, seeing between between my patients. And I thought, 
wow, you know, this needs to be said because this is not common wisdom and yet it's so simple. And so, you know, I, I kind of pulled together what ended up being kind of eight areas, which I call thinking traps, but kind of ways that we get stuck. And those ways that we get stuck cause us a lot of suffering and a lot of pain. And so in the book, I detail in each chapter is, is one thinking trap. And I use the patient case studies from my practice. You know, obviously the names are changed, but to illustrate the points of these thinking traps. And I think for a lot of people, most of it is like, oh my God, that's me. You know, that's me. That's me. You know, we can see ourselves in those stories because they're so human and they're so real. So emotional wisdom, how is that different from emotional intelligence, Lisa? Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure there's a, there's a big difference there. I mean, I think that the more experiences we have in life, and not everybody does this, some people drink and they do drugs and they gamble and they have a lot of sex and they shop a lot. And, you know, there's plenty of ways to avoid looking deeply. And, you know, it, it is certainly more fun. <laughs> on the surface to do some of those other things. But, you know, in the long run, I don't think we get it much further along. But people have devised fabulous ways of distracting themselves from looking at the reality, right? And we all we all know that. Uh, and we're all guilty of that to some degree. But, you know, I think the real beauty lies in our courage to confront some of the deeper truths and some of the deeper learning that is waiting there for us. And one of the things that I think is really, really great about the book, Emotional Repatterning, is that in there, it gives, you know, a, a really good tried and true and very easy technique to uncover some of the subconscious beliefs that we carry with us that that distort essentially how we show up in the world and how we see the world and how we inter interpret the world and understand what those deep beliefs are, those subconscious beliefs, and actually go in and change them, essentially rewiring the brain and imposing instead a better belief on top of some of the old and negative beliefs that maybe we even picked up largely in childhood, which I, which I do find is often the case. Um, but, you know, it is really a proactive tool because, you know, we've all made um, kind of affirmations and we've all made resolutions and we've all taken, you know, you know, gone to therapy or taken an anger management class or self-study or read a self-help book. And we all have very good intentions and we we put that out there and I'm going to change and I'm going to do this and that and let's yell at my kids and blah, blah, blah. And we often all fail at those great intended uh, changes because we're not dealing with what, what our subconscious beliefs are, which are deep. And they, they need to line up with our, with our conscious goals and objectives. Otherwise, we don't get very far. And so this book is a way of really knowing ourselves on a deep level and being able to get in there and make some profound changes in an easy way that honestly make miraculous changes. I mean, I've had patients tell me they cannot believe things that they struggled with for 30 and 40 years are now just different. They just see things differently, like almost effortlessly. How is it working with you in the, um, using this technique, the emotional repatterning technique? I know the audience can learn by reading your book, but if they wanted to work with you directly, how would that be, Lisa? Can you describe what the session yes. is like? Well, I mean, if you're in Montreal, then you come in. But, uh, you know, I have a lot of patients by, you know, long distance and, you know, Skype and Zoom and, and all that. So we, you know, when we're working at a distance, it's, it's, it's fun and it's easy. We can still connect very well on deep things. And then I help the person do the technique by coaching them through various ways of repatterning and changing their subconscious beliefs. So it's just as effective 
active by distance. It's a little bit more fun in person, <laughs> but you know, in by distance, we can still accomplish the exact same objectives of kind of getting deep inside, exploring about what's there and learning ways to repattern and change our deepest beliefs. So I, I think it's quite effective. Yeah, very much sounds like it. And I have done some of this work, not as deeply as I would like to, or maybe Maybe I didn't need to go that deep, but yeah, I know the effectiveness of those techniques. Oh, I'm glad. I'm oh, glad you yes. had some experience with it. Absolutely. And um, I love what you say in your book. Yeah, it has had to be in your book. You say, learning how to be present is skillful in the face of difficulty is not irrelevant, an option, an extra. It is essential. So that caught my attention about that being able to to kind of uncover what is there deep inside of us in our subconscious so we can finally live a life that's so much easier in a way. I do feel like the healing really, really works. The more we do, the lighter life becomes. For sure. Less suffering, more joy, right? I mean, I think that's what we all want. So talk to me for a moment about one of my favorite topics, uh, which in your book you talk about a lot, self-love and acceptance. When it comes to self-love, what are some of the signs that we can look for when we are there at that level of self-love? Right. Uh, well, it is the first chapter in the book, really, and I think it's one of the most profound points. It's yeah. always amazing to me when I work with people how many people don't love themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's a very at a very deep level, right? You might say to me, oh, sure, I love myself. You know, I go for a massage every month and, you know, <laughs> yeah. I do this and that. And of course, I love myself. But, you know, when we test things on a subconscious level, we also often find that that's not the case. Yeah. There's no one to blame about that. I think that that's going through life often with parents who are maybe not as aware and comments being made and, you know, sensitive people pick up more on different, you know, energies of people and they take it personally and they take it deeply and it, and it, those things reside inside of us. So it's unfortunately kind of an epidemic yeah, uh, that yeah. people don't love themselves. And I True. think it's it's maybe easier to recognize when you don't love yourself than when you do love yourself, right? So yeah. what would it look like That's when true. you don't love yourself? So mm. often these are people with no boundaries, right? So they, why do we have no boundaries? We don't want to say no to people. Why do we not want to say no to people? Because we want people to like us. Why yeah. do we want people to like us? Because we don't love ourselves enough. So when we're not filled up with our own self-love, we seek that from the outside, from others, which as we all know, having done that is a losing strategy mm, yes <laughs> that, losing that's a strategy therapy. for resentment that's so, so true is it right so so that, yeah that's so that's true. one area where we can see a lack of self-love i think another area that we can see a lack of self-love is in mm. perfectionism right so when we are perfectionists now that doesn't mean like you know, having a high standard and wanting to do good work that's that's normal we all we won't hopefully all want to do that but when there's a certain level of perfectionism, this is another uh, indication for me that there's a lack of self-love, right? Because we have to be perfect so that we can prove to ourselves that we're worthy of loving ourselves. And we should never have to be feel like we need to be worthy first of loving ourselves. We are, we are just worthy of love because we are, because we exist, right? It's unconditional, it's not conditional upon me performing well. So, I mean, I think those are, you know, two kind of like short and easy ways to say. And I, and I bet everybody listening to us now is saying, oh, yeah, because <laughs> you know, we've all suffered through that in one degree or another. Right. Because it, it is uh, it's fundamental to love ourselves. 
I love your message. I love your work. I love the way you speak about it. Even oh, You're so sweet. Thank you. It's unconditional love. This is what we already are in a way. By being here, it's already the fulfillment of unconditional love. Oh my God, Lisa. Right. So it's almost coming back home to ourselves, right? Yes. Because, you know, I have to believe as newborn babies, we, we had that inborn reflex and then things along the way maybe convinced us otherwise. And that's the piece that we need to redo. Right. It is an unlearning, right? Yes, Uncovering. An unlearning or rediscovering of what was originally true. Right. Yes. A billion times. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I have two questions for you here. I have so many, but one about um, alternative natural medicines for hormone therapy. Do you offer that? Do you work with that? Well, yes. I mean, I'm a homeopath by profession. That's mostly what I do. You know, if you don't know too much about homeopathy, it's a whole other paradigm. It's a whole other system of medicine where we treat the whole person with natural remedies that trigger the body to heal itself. And in the case of your question, rebalance the hormones. And so there are many periods in life where we have hormonal imbalance. I mean, the most obvious one is in menopause. And I work with a lot of menopausal patients uh, to try to get the body to rebalance the hormones as we're going through menopause, right? Because menopause is a declining of the hormones, but we want to do that in balance so that we don't have all those symptoms, right? Those emotional symptoms, the hot flashes and all the other stuff. So certainly herbs can have a place there and lifestyle can have a place there in terms of sleeping and stress and exercise and diet all have a place there. But for me, homeopathy is really the, uh, the golden nugget there that can make a huge difference for people. Oh, that's great to know. Thank you for the information. <laughs> uh, we women and men, we need that to know that. Yes. And another question is about CBD. I have heard a lot about it. I actually interviewed somebody about that too, two people. Mm. So what is your take on CBD? Well, I think it's great. I mean, I, uh, you know, obviously the, the hemp plant, the marijuana plant is, uh, you know, natural and, you know, it's been vilified all those years because of, you know, seeing it as an illicit drug. But finally, they're doing a lot of studies around that. There's studies in epilepsy and there's many, many studies that show that uh, the plant and various aspects of the plant are useful in healing. So this is not just, you know, my opinion, your opinion. These are actually well done, well-founded studies. It depends on what you need it for. I mean, CBD can be really helpful in pain. I have seen CBD with some THC mixed in to be really phenomenal to help people in sleep. So depending on where you live and how available these things are, uh, you know, many women in, in the menopausal time and 50 plus have a lot of trouble sleeping and some mixture of CBD and or THC can be really, really useful in terms of relaxation and deeper sleep. So in that area, I can really say that it's great. Do you also prescribe that, Lisa? Well, I'm in Canada and in Canada, uh, it's all legal. So you don't need a prescription for that. Uh, you know, we actually have stores that are run by the government. And so it's a controlled, it's a controlled substance and manufactured in a controlled way. And, and so, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it is what it is. Uh, but it is legal. So that part's good. So you can easily walk into a corner store and, you know, describe your problem to the clerk there and they can make a recommendation for you. Okay, that's good to know. Okay, Canada. But I think you too. United States, yeah, different right? States, different states. I don't think it's federally uh, legalized, but I mean, there are certain states, California, Colorado, I think uh, Oregon, uh, many states, I think, have legalization of, uh, of marijuana and, you know, the, the products. 
So it's worth it's worth looking into. It is, yeah, I agree. I have been kind of exploring more that area, not taking myself, not yet, although I have in my house. But I never really, yeah, for some reason, uh, inspired. Yeah, <laughs> to well, do it. it's worth a try. I mean, it's relatively safe, like any plant or herb, right? It just it has a bad reputation. So it is safe, right, Lisa? Maybe yes, I should try it. it's very safe, for sure. I, th- I, re- I would absolutely try it. And then, I don't know what you're specifically talking about, but I mean, there's no downside, really. Okay, no side effects, and nope, yeah, it's not no. unsafe. I mean, listen, any plant, anything you could react to, right? I mean, you could take vitamin C and, and break out in a rash. So, I mean, it's not to say like, oh, for everyone at all times, but I mean, it's it's a plant, it's natural, and you shouldn't have a bad reaction to that. And if you have a bad reaction, you don't take it anymore. I mean, that's it, like any other thing. I love the message in your book. It's a reoccurring one about the uh, suffering and how challenges and suffering can lead us to wisdom, to greater wisdom and deeper knowing of oneself and this creation of a new reality, a new life. So thank you so much for that message. It's an important one that we learn to do Um, that. I'm glad you, you resonated with that. So I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book, Lisa? Uh, well, there's there's one thing that I really like, and I'll just read a little bit about it. It's not a passage, but I mean, there is a statement. You know, I make a little kind of statement um, in each of the chapters is kind of the heading. And, you know, under the heading or the chapter called acceptance, which I think is one of the more difficult things for people to grasp. We have a hard time accepting situations. We have a hard time accepting people. We have a hard time accepting ourselves, right? I mean, to me, this is a very profound uh, concept, even after self-love. And the, the, the statement that I really like that I've written around that is the gap between how things are and how we think they should be is equal to the degree of our suffering. And, you know, when I kind of came to that understanding myself, it was like a big kind of like aha moment. You know, it's like as soon as I think things should be different than they are, that causes me to suffer. And so, you know, in my own life and, you know, on a, even on a daily basis, when I realize that I'm suffering because I don't accept something or someone or myself, I realize that I have to accept. I mean, I don't have to like, right? Like and accept are different things. So that's one thing to say right up front. I can accept something and not like it. And so there's plenty of things I don't like, but I have to accept that people are as they are, that things are the way they are, that I at this moment am the way I am. Things are evolving and things are changing and that's great. And we hope for that. But at this moment, I have to accept where they are because the more that I argue with how things are, the more I lose and the more I suffer. And that makes me think about what you said earlier about unconditional love, that, that we are already in that space. It's a miracle to be alive, to be in the human body. Just by realizing that, acceptance might just arise right naturally. Because, I mean, that makes sense to me. Once you realize that this is a miracle, this is unconditional love, then everything else becomes just so clear. And then it's easier to navigate this reality. Right. Well, most of us spend a lot of time thinking our boss should be different, our wife should be different, our child should be different. They shouldn't be like that. They shouldn't say this thing. And all of that mental chatter causes us enormous suffering right? When we think things should be different than they are. And, you know, life is never wrong. And we're always going to lose that argument, right? When we're arguing with life, we will always lose. 
It is how it is. And the best thing we can do is wrap our mind around that and accept things as they are. And then once we accept it, go from there and try to make the changes in ourself and try to make the changes in our life and try to make change. Acceptance doesn't mean sitting back on a lounge chair with a pina colada and just say, hey, I'm checking out. Right. I mean, it's not an invitation to check out. It's more to stop arguing with life and to start stop arguing with how things are and line ourselves up with how things are. And once we get to accept things from that place we can move forward right but as long as we're still arguing with things in our head it's that consumes all of our energy so true that sounds highly spiritual to me lisa yeah well i mean this is a daily practice of mine i mean i I find this one to be a constant challenge but i mean at least being familiar with the concept of it can help me at least make that as a goal that feeds the mind in a way or kind of uh, tones it down i love what you said life is never wrong uh, life is never wrong. So true. So, well, you so know, as true. soon as we start arguing with life, at least yeah. in my life, I've, I've lost every single time. I mean, yeah. we may not like it, but yeah. I do believe there is some divinity behind all of this. Right. And so yeah. we're always confronted with things that are in the long run good for us to learn and grow. And even though they seem hard and they seem difficult, and certainly I've lived many of those things, you know, when, when we argue that things shouldn't be, in other words, if I'm arguing with myself that my son should not be sick, yeah. well, I, I can spend a lot of time there. But the reality is my son is sick or was sick. Yeah. And so, you know, when I when I kind of got on board with, OK, this is how it is. I have to accept this and stop arguing with it. It shouldn't be this way. Right. Well, once I kind of get my head around, OK, this is the way it is. This is what's happening. Well, then I could move on and be more productive and say to myself, OK, now what? You know, now what do I need to do? Now, how can I show up for him? What else can I do to support him? How am I going to take care of myself through this? You know, then I could move on. As long as I'm stuck arguing that things shouldn't be this way, well, it's a total waste of energy and time. It is. Uh, Yeah, I love how clear you are about this message. It's a very important one and highly spiritual. Thank you so much. What a great reminder. (laughs) So, yeah, um, I have a few more questions for you. The ending questions. How do you define success? What is to be successful to you these days? Hmm, That's a great question. I mean, for me, it's about feeling like I make a difference, you know, hopefully not just in my professional life, in my personal life, with my family, with my friends, that I can shine my light brightly for other people. I mean, I have my own issues and problems. I'm not saying I've reached, you know, (laughs) enlightenment, whatever that might be. Uh, I certainly still struggle with all of this stuff, although I feel that I'm much better than I was at knowing myself and knowing how to use some of my own emotional repatterning techniques to improve my own subconscious beliefs and move my own viewpoint and my own perceptions forward. So I do that self-work regularly, but success for me is taking my wisdom and my knowledge and what I've learned from experience and, and helping to guide others. And two more questions. What is another word for healing? That's a great question. I think I would say a combination of evolving, right? Because healing can take place on so many levels, physically, mentally, spiritually. So it's a kind of, there's an evolution or a moving forward there. And I would say that's a moving forward toward wholeness on each of those levels. Mm. So I would say that maybe that in a, you know, kind of a more philosophical way would, would encapsulate healing for me. And my last question is, what are three things you wish everyone to experience before they lose their bodies? 
I think unconditional love of oneself is, you know, the biggest gift we can ever have and maybe give ourselves that there's a certain feeling there of of seeing ourselves on a deep level and and recognizing our deep, deep goodness uh, that I think is an enormous gift that we can give ourselves. Maybe secondly would be the ability to give that to another person. So much of the love we give because we've been trained in receiving love that has been conditional. So much of the love we give is conditional upon a person showing up in a certain way, a way that we would like them to be. So that would be an enormous thing to experience. And maybe true peace, uh, which could be the result of the previous two. Ah, yeah. <laughs> right. But, you know, deep, deep, a deep sense of peace and safety, you know, like, what you know, I guess it kind of loops around to what we talked about in the beginning, you know, just a, an understanding that we are not our body and, you know, we all will die. And and that's exactly the way it's supposed to be. And that even if that's true, it doesn't mean we can't be feeling safe and we can't be feeling peaceful. That there's a deep, deep place that it would be great if we could go to, to have that knowledge that we are safe and from that we can be at peace. And well, for me, that's, that's very close to joy because that is, uh, that's just a kind of a relief, you know, that it's all going to be okay and that it's all happening exactly as it should and I don't have to control it. And that level of peace is, wow, that's big. Thank you so much, Lisa, for your wisdom, for letting the timeless wisdom flow through you. The work you do, the love that you show through your voice, the way you speak, <laughs> it's really beautiful. <laughs> thank you. everything else in between, thank you. Oh, you're so sweet. I really appreciate the questions. They were very thought-provoking. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, you can Google me at Lisa Samet, Lisa, and then S-A-M-E-T dot com. Uh, you can find more about, and you can find stuff about my book there. You can also find stuff about my book at emotionalrepatterning.ca. So that's the name of the book. And that book is available, you know, wherever books are sold online and in bookstores. Wonderful. I'll have those links on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. We'll talk soon. Bye okay, for now. Hillary, have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Lisa Samet and her work, please visit lisasamet.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.